Welcome to all of those watching online too. I know we have a number online today because of a, a variety of reasons. And so um, we are a, a split congregation today, but we will all study God's Word together as we um, continue in Acts today. Looking forward to this text. I, I believe these seven verses we're going to cover today have so much to say for the church and for our church. As, as Jim mentioned, as the church is going along great and there's growing pains as you grow. And just like any organization, as you get larger in business, that's true as well. When an organization gets larger, there's different things you have to consider and there's different things that have to happen. Same when a family gets larger. Each person you add to the family adds a level of complexity and, um, doesn't mean you should get rid of some people out of your family. But we have to learn how to deal with that. We have to learn how to, to process that. As we're reading a story that Dwight Pentecost told, a true story about a church in Dallas a number of years ago. So don't try to put it in any of today's headlines. And this was a number of years ago. And this, this church decided to split. And each of the sides that were splitting claimed ownership of the property. And so you, you thus have a problem because who gets the property? And so they both sued each other. All kinds of problems even with that, biblically. They sue each other, it goes to court, the judge is listening to it, and, and the judge says, I'm not dealing with this, go back to your denomination. Let, let them deal with this. So they go back to the denomination, the dom- denomination has a church court, and they, they hear both sides, and they finally award the property to one of the sides, the other side went off and made their own church, and um, all seemed to be fine. But during the hearing, it was really interesting because the church court was trying to figure out, okay, how did this conflict start? How did the split start? And it started at a church dinner. So think potluck. Started at a church dinner, and there was a, a certain elder there that was sitting next to a child, and the child received a larger slice of ham than the elder. And that, that, that was it. That's what started the conflict. That's what split a church. And it was a, a, a petty difference over a perceived slight, a perceived offense that then turned into this whole ordeal that split a church and, and, and in a public way, even in the newspapers. What did that do to the testimony of Jesus Christ over a slice of ham? And so I I tell this story as we we come to today's text. Today's text is probably a little more real slight. In this case, it was not a real slight. But there are so many ways that Satan wants to divide his church. There are so many ways, not his church, God's church, sorry. He wants to, to divide God's church. There are so many ways that Satan is going to try to stop God's work in God's church. And today we come to the church at Acts and we see one of those ways. And we see an example of what happened. And we see an example of dealing with it and moving on, putting a priority on God's work rather than a priority on the perceived offense. The smallest things, though, can divide us even today. It doesn't have to be a piece of ham. It might be a look. It might be a hurtful thing that we think someone said to us. It might be, well, they ignored me and so they must be mad at me. And we, we jump to these, these conclusions that, that we then build a narrative over and then we filter all events through and those become larger than life and larger than the work of God. 
And so today we want to look at this and ask the question right up front, will we be petty and self-centered and let some of these things divide us? Or will we be committed to the work of God? We must stand against division as God's church of any sort. Other than division over core doctrine, other than division over the truth of God's Word, we must stand against division that's interpersonal, division that isn't associated with the deeper things of the faith. And so we come to the church at Acts and we see how they dealt with it. We've, we've saw that they've dealt with external opposition as, as the leaders have tried to stop the work of God. They've dealt with internal sin as, as we, we saw the sin of lying and the sin of wanting to look good in front of other people. And, and that was dealt with. And we saw the leaders come down even harder and try to stop the work of God. Nothing's worked. And so Satan says, I know. I'm going to get them to, to dislike each other. I'm going to get them to be frustrated with each other, to think that they are out to get each other. I'm going to chip away at the foundation of the church and the love of God in the church to stop the work. So turn with me to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. If you don't have a Bible today, we encourage you to grab a black Bible out from under the the seats. There's a hardcover Bible there that you can take and follow along. If you don't have a Bible at home, take that one with you. And it's our gift to you because we want you to have God's Word. But Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7 I'd like to re- it's only seven verses, so I'd like to read through the whole story, and then we'll break down sort of the sequence of what happened and how they solved it. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's open in prayer. Lord God, I pray that you would use this text in the life of our church that you would open our eyes to places where maybe we are guilty of, of some of the same division and, or, or some of the ways that we look down on each other. But Lord, help us to be peacemakers. Help us to be people that are seeking solutions, seeking ways to bring us together to do your work. Lord, use your word in our lives today, this morning. In your name, amen. So we have the story of what happened in the church and the offense and how the apostles dealt with it. And I'd like to look at the steps and look at what they did because I think we can learn much out of it. And so the first thing out of verse 1 there is as the church grew, the apostles couldn't keep up with the needs and people got overlooked. So right from the start, we have to acknowledge some people were overlooked. This was a real issue. This was a real concern. Some of the widow's needs were not being met. So as the church grew, the apostles couldn't keep up with the needs and people got overlooked. 
So we see a number of things in in verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number. So right from the start we see the church is growing. The word for disciples there, that was used as a synonym for Christian. And and so it it always represents, all of you that are believers are disciples. And we're going to see that several times in this text. And they're increasing in number. And so the church is still in Jerusalem. The apostles are still teaching in the temple. They're still proclaiming the gospel. And people are coming to Christ left and right. It is a wonderful thing. But out of that came this dilemma or came this problem of of some people getting overlooked. And so we, we see the disciples are growing in number. And then a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now we have to stop for a minute and say, okay, what's going on here? What culturally is going on here? Who are the Hellenists? Who are the Hebrews? Why is there a complaint? What's the difference? They're all part of the church. And in fact, they're all part, they're all Jews at this point. And so this looks like a, a racial injustice thing. It's probably more of a cultural injustice and some division based on cultural, culture and where they're coming from. The Hellenists here that are mentioned are Jews, but they primarily spoke Greek. So they spoke very little Hebrew or Aramaic, probably was the more common language of the time. They spoke very little Aramaic. This was a group that probably was dispersed, um, not only with with, um, the exile, but even more recently, different reasons why they'd go to different countries, whether it be for business or or whether it be for a, a variety of different reasons. They did not grow up in Jerusalem or the surrounding area. So these were sort of the out-of-towners. And what would happen is they would come back, especially in Jewish culture, it was considered an honor or something they desired to be buried in Jerusalem. And so as you got toward the end of your life, you would come back to Jerusalem from wherever you were. Now these people, as they were out in the world, had, had naturally developed more of a Greek language, and they would speak Greek, and they adopted some of the Greek culture. That does not mean that they were adopting the sin of the Greek culture, okay? Different cultures have different ways of doing things, and they were adopting some of the Greek ways of doing things. And so then they would come back to Jerusalem, and there was a, a marked difference from the Hebrews. The Hebrews that are mentioned here are the locals, okay? So think small town and, and, and outsiders coming into the locals. That's a little bit of what you have here. They primarily spoke Aramaic and Hebrew, some of the Semitic languages. They spoke very little Greek. Now, they probably knew enough to get by because Greek was the language of the, of the world. But you have, you, their primary language was probably Aramaic, whereas the Hellenists, their primary language was Greek. So there was some language differences right there from the start. Make sense? So much so that before they became Christians, they often would have separate synagogues for which language they spoke. And so these were two groups that were separate. Now imagine how the Hellenists might have felt coming into Jerusalem, coming into the locals, not really understanding much Aramaic, not really being able to be part of that culture. There was this division and there was this outsider feel and they were already sort of the ones that that were excluded or that were on the fringes and then this happens with their widows. Now now understand a little bit, like I mentioned, as you got older, you wanted to come back into the city to be buried. 
That would be true of widows that would come back, but it would often be true of couples that were older in age. They would come back, but we know that the the husbands, the men, often died at a much younger age than the women. And so what happened is you have this group of people that didn't grow up there, that are coming in, that that weren't steeped in the, the Hebrew way of doing things. Husbands died, and now the widows are alone and don't know what to do. The other thing to remember is there was no social security there. There was no social services there. The way that widows survived was your family took care of you. Your, your kids usually, your sons usually were the ones that took care of you once your husband passed away. Now, if the sons hadn't come to Jerusalem, there's a dilemma, there's a real problem here. The church, we already know from Acts 2 and Acts 4 that their goal was that no one would be in need. That they would take care of all those needs. And people were coming and, and selling land at times or bringing possessions. They were making sure needs were taken care of. The apostles were responsible for distributing that. Remember, they would bring the money to the apostles' feet. The apostles would distribute it as people had need. And so we have these two groups. Same race, but different cultures. And again, it's a reminder we can divide about anything. We have boomers, we have Xers, we have millennials, and we have Gen Z. Which generation do you dislike the most? No, just kidding. <laughs> we have all these things we say about different generations, right? And that can threaten the church. Because we're all the, we're all the same culture, but we, we for, for whatever reason, divide into these groups because we feel better if we're in a like-minded group. We can easily divide into young and old. We can divide of how long we've been at the church. One, um, one author calls it new berries or older berries or elder berries of, of who's been at the church longer. And that can happen. There can be this philosophical divide there. We can divide over types of ministry. We can divide over Dodgers and angels. No, no, not yeah. <laughs> We know which one's right. No. <laughs> kidding, kidding. But I hope the humor illustrates how easily we can divide and how easily we can take sides. And so as we come to this text, I don't want us to say, oh, those Hellenists and those Hebrews, how dare they? I want us to say, how do we do the same thing? Our lines are different. We're, we're, not, we're not having a division over whether our widows are taken care of. But we can have the same culture, cultural divides. We can have the same group divides. Well, they're not part of my group. They like to go to Taco Bell. They like to go to the Taco Well, we're Chipotle people. Um, I mean, we can have all these silly, petty things we divide over and then continue to group by those things and God's church is harmed. God's work is harmed. Because we've divided over the wrong things. And so we have in the, in verse one, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And, and we don't know exactly what's happening here, but the daily distribution could have been food as the elders were trying to meet needs. It could have been financial. The, the wording there allows for it to be finances, to, to buy food and to meet needs. But whatever was happening here, some of the widows of the Hellenist group were, were being overlooked. They were being missed. Now, a, a couple of things here. The, the word for 
complaint has the idea of grumbling and murmuring. And, and I really think Luke is being intentional with that word to, to help us recall the Old Testament. A, a people that would often grumble and murmur against God. God's people, the Israelites. And so this grumbling and murmuring is coming up, sometimes under the surface, sometimes it's coming out like here. And, and what was one mind and one heart for the gospel now is giving away to division and frustration and strife. Because the needs were not being met. Another word to, to look at, and there's, there's a lot we can break down here, but the word neglected, some of your translations um, translate overlooked. And it actually is a very intentional word that would imply that this was not on purpose. That this was not intentional. The apostles weren't sitting together and saying, you know what? I like that group better. Let's give them food and not them. It's not what was happening. They were being overlooked because of the scope of the work and the scope of the ministry. Remember, the church is up somewhere between five and 10,000 people now. And 12 guys are trying to manage it. That's a problem. And, and that's what, that's what they're going to solve here. And so this wasn't an intentional thing. Now, it seems to be presented like, oh, I bet they're doing it on purpose. And it's, it's a wonderful lesson not to jump to conclusions about people. Not to jump to conclusions about motives. Whenever I hear, oh, this person did this, this person did this, and so they must be feeling this, or this must be why they're doing it, I'm like, whoa, no, 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 no. It's not our place. We don't know the motives. Because whenever we do that, usually, number one, I've seen it be wrong. Number two, we almost always uh, ascribe motives that benefit us the most. Oh, they're hurtful to me, and so that helps me feel like the victim or the, the party that needs some sort of retribution here. But the apostles here, they're, they're doing their best, but they missed people. Now, that part of this, too, is understanding this was a real problem. And so there's complexities here. We shouldn't grumble about things, but if real problems come up, we should talk about them and bring them up. So the answer here wasn't to just continue letting the widows be neglected, but to bring it up to the right people in the right way. This, this could have easily come across, and I, and I would bet it probably did, as a little bit of a challenge to the apostles' authority. How dare you? How, how dare you do this to our group? But instead of getting defensive, I think the apostles give us a wonderful example here throughout the rest of the text of listening and solving. Instead of saying, wait, 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 we're the apostles. How dare you question us? How dare you make unfair assumptions about us? No, instead they listened and they assessed the problem because they recognized no one should be overlooked. It's a real issue. How it came up may not have been good, but it's a real issue. Let's focus on that and keep the work of God going forward rather than trying to defend our own pride and our own ego. And so the answer to this one, to this problem that they couldn't keep up with needs, the apostles listened and assessed the problem. They listened and assessed the problem. A couple other things that this story reminds us of because oftentimes I hear, if we could just be like the church in Acts. The church in Acts wasn't perfect either. They had people overlooked. They had internal things. No, every church 
if it has people in it, has issues. If it has sinners in it, has issues. And so the question is, how are we going to solve those? How are we going to move on? How are we going to keep the main thing the main thing and make sure nothing is distracting from the work of God? And that's what I so appreciate about this story. That's what the apostles give us an example of and the church body as they respond to the apostles' leadership. And so out out of this one, I I would ask us the question, what threatens our unity? What I, I gave some funny ones, but what really can threaten our unity? And, and I think we have to start by looking inward on this. How do I contribute to conflict? How do I contribute to hurt feelings, to misunderstandings? How does my pride or opinionatedness get in the way of body life? Then if there's a continuing offense, how do we make this right? Who do I talk to? You know, if, if there's a group that's being overlooked of needs, needs met in our benevolent fund, talk to one of the elders. We would want to know that and we would want to make sure that that is rectified. Communication is a key in this. See, this could be a problem or it can be an opportunity. The problem is if it's not addressed and it continues. The opportunity is to say, okay, let's find a way to bring more people together. Let's find a way to meet more needs. And so as the church grew, some needs got overlooked But the apostles listened and assessed the problem. We get to verse two and we get to, we, we start to see why and we start to see some of the dilemma behind it. The physical needs were overwhelming the ministry of the word. The physical needs were overwhelming the ministry of the word. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now I have heard all kinds of ways this verse has been misused. I have heard it misused by pastors who don't want to do any of the menial stuff of ministry, who don't want to do anything hard, who don't want to be servants, quite frankly. And, and, and that is an inappropriate way to, do, to, to use this because they say, well, I'm just going to be about the, the Word of God and, and study that the whole time. That's not where this verse is going. It's not where the apostles are going. We see that later in Acts as they still kept some of these duties in different settings. But this is an issue of priorities. If the physical needs get in the way of preaching the word. And, and remember, God, Jesus has told them, you're to be my witnesses. You're to, you're to spread the news of the resurrection. If the physical needs get in the way of that, then we need to distribute and make sure those needs are met in a different way. The burden of all of this was too much for 12 men. And so it was starting to distract, apparently, from their spiritual duties. And they couldn't do either of them well. They couldn't care for the widows well. They couldn't um, do their spiritual duties, be witnesses and pray and disciple well because they just had too much on their plate. The word for serving tables there. And, and, and again, I, my, my caution of this is that we don't somehow have two different classes of ministry and say this one's better and this one's not. The, the, the serving of tables here has to do with, like I said, either the physical distribution of food or it could be managing the finances of that. But what happens if the physical needs aren't met to the church? There's problems, right? People go hungry. This is bad. What happens if the spiritual needs aren't met? No one's growing. The tr- I, both are essential. 
Both are necessary. And this gets into how God has designed his church where different people have different gifts and different responsibilities and different duties. And there's a symbiotic relationship where all are important. And so we have to come to this passage and say, the very fact that they're addressing it and going to commission men to do it means they thought it was important, not that they thought it was lesser. And it's it's a shame that it's been taught the other way sometimes. And so this is the the apostles valuing the ministry of the table, valuing the physical ministries, and saying, we're not doing this well, but it's so important that we need to have men that can do this. That's a better way of, of looking at the text and seeing what the text is saying. And so they're acknowledging that importance. They, they are acknowledging the need to be faithful to both of these tasks. They were called to preaching the Word and making disciples. And so they're going to find seven men that then can be called to managing the finances and managing the, the giving to the widows and making sure all those are taken care of. Another thing that, that, that I want to mention, we talked about this earlier in Acts, whether things are descriptive or prescriptive. This is the, the situation, the exact situation is descriptive here. It's describing what happened. It doesn't mean that this always has to happen this way. The principle of priorities always needs to happen. That is, is what is, what is something we should take away from and learn from. That's prescriptive. But descriptive here is that in this situation, they needed seven men to do this. This does not mean every church must find seven men to care for widows. It does mean people should be taken care of. And the church should adjust and be flexible with whatever structure is needed. The church had to to change structures here. Now, for some of you, the the idea of changing structures, that word alone is like, no. It's, It's like of the devil. Oh, we've got to be flexible, though. The church had to be flexible and say, okay, we're not tied to how ministry is happening. Ministry can happen different in in 2022 than it did in 2021 because it's about meeting those needs. And so the apostles here were making sure priorities were right, making sure their priorities were right, making sure they were faithful to what God had asked them to do making sure the ministry of of meeting needs was also taken care of and had an appropriate priority and had appropriate people managing that. One other interesting thing here, the word for serve tables actually is the same word, um, diakonos, that we get deacon from. Now, some, some have said this is the first deacon board. I think that's a step too far because this doesn't look like an official board yet. That's going to happen later in church. But this does look sort of like the origins of deacons. You know, so, if, you know, we, we talked about Star Wars in episode one and episode two. This is the deacon board, the beginnings or whatever, you know, whatever episode you, you want to say, because the deacon boards took over a lot of these, these um, same functions. But what we see here is at this time, there needed to be seven men to accomplish this task. And the church accomplished that. One other thing that, that I want to mention out of this verse. And the twelve summoned how many of the disciples? The full number of the disciples. Again, disciples is used as a synonym for Christians here. They said, church, let's get together and solve this together. 
That was very appropriate. It's a lot of how we get our polity as, as a church here, that we're a congregational um, polity where we vote on things and, and we elect elders and deacons. And as a church, we vote on the budget. Here, this was such an important issue that they got the whole church together. And they said, let's solve this. It's not right that we should be not doing well at either of these. And then they're going to come to their, their proposal and then the church is going to decide on the proposal. It's a, a wonderful, wonderful way of doing things. So then we get to verses 3 through 6. And this is the solution. The solution they came up with and they, they proposed and the church ended up doing, let's appoint godly men, servant leaders, to share the load and meet the needs. You know, we can look at it and say, well, duh. That's like the obvious solution, right? But when you're in the middle of it, when you don't know if you have men that can do this, when, when this has never been done before, this is pretty radical. But this is what the apostle said. Let's hand off some things. Let's appoint godly men, servant leaders, to share the load and meet those needs. Look at verse 3. Therefore, brothers... Okay, so the solution, the, 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 the conclusion... Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And so we see the, the, the apostles, again, they're not, they're not diverting blame. They're not saying, well, actually this is caused by you because you don't speak our language. So you haven't stepped up and mentioned there's needs. How would we know? No, they're like, let's solve this. And so they said, let's... Let's, let's proactively come up with seven men who are going to take care of this, to lead this task. Now, that might have had some backing with Jewish tradition. They often would have boards of seven men that would, would accomplish things that were assigned to tasks. It doesn't really matter. This is what they did, and it worked. But what I think is important to see there is the, the qualifications. They didn't just say, let's pick out seven men who are really good at distributing food. Let's pick seven men who are really good with finances. They had a different set of qualifications, which tells us that these men are taking a leadership position in the church. This isn't just a throwaway task. This is leadership in the church. In fact, two of them we're going to see mentioned in Acts that they're going to go on and do evangelism and and they're doing wonderful work in the church. But look at the, the qualifications that these were not just good leaders, but they were godly men. The first one is good reputation, or some of your Bibles say of good repute, that they're spoken well of. The word actually comes from to be a witness, and the idea is that other people can speak well of them. They, they can be a witness to their character. And so these men were to, to have good character. And this is a short list that we see then expanded in First Timothy and Titus. Second qualification that we see there, full of the Spirit. Full of the Spirit. These men were to be known that they would f- known for following the leading of the Spirit, from se- for seeking direction from God, for spiritual maturity. Stephen, we're going to see in the, in the list, was called a man of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and that was indicative of all of them. And when we come to leadership in God's church, we must look at spiritual qualifications. We must look at where men and women are are walking with God, how they're walking with God, if they're walking with God. It doesn't matter that they can 
throw a good party or a good potluck or handle the finances well. That's, that's not the only thing to consider. Now, with the next one, that's one of the things to consider. But more important than that is, are they walking with God? Do they love Jesus? Because if they don't love Jesus and they aren't pursuing Jesus, the rest will fall apart in a church setting. And so even for something like making sure widows' needs are taken care of, the qualifications stated one of the three, they need to be full of the Spirit. They need to be full of the Spirit. Just a side note, it's a reminder that the Holy Spirit guides everything we do. The Holy Spirit points us to who needs help. The Holy Spirit points us even today, who needs a note, who needs a word of encouragement, who needs me to, to stop them in the gym and say, you know what, I'm praying for you this week. The Holy Spirit is the one that puts those promptings in our hearts and they needed men that would follow those promptings. Men that would look around and say, you know what? I know they haven't said anything, but I don't see any of the widows that that speak Greek. Maybe we should check in on them. Maybe we should be proactive and say, hey, are your needs being met? And that's the Holy Spirit that would reveal those things. Third qualification is there to be marked by wisdom. Marked by wisdom. The ability to take spiritual truth and apply it to practical situations. From head knowledge to actually doing it with your hands. And these men, especially for the task, needed to to be able to have wisdom in how to distribute things, how to go about things. They did need to have some skills here, skills to solve problems. And all of these put together were the qualifications that the church was to look for in these seven men to solve this problem. John Luther wrote this about character and and why character and full of the Spirit were the first two things here and wisdom was the last thing. He said, Good character is more to be praised than outstanding talent. Most talents are to some extent a gift. Good character, by contrast, is not given to us. We have to build it piece by piece by thought, choice, courage, and determination. Interesting quote. Because good character and spiritual maturity are a result of our choices to follow God. And they reveal things about our character, about our walk with God, that simple wisdom or simple looking at how someone handles finances don't reveal. So that we get verse 3 and 4. They have this idea. In verse 5, And what they, being the apostles, what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, and they list the men that they chose. And so they presented it to the congregation. The congregation said, that's a good idea. Let's do it. And the congregation picked the seven men. goes back to the elders we see in verse 6. The elders then approve them and lay hands on them and confer authority to them. But the congregation picked these seven men based on those qualifications. Now what's interesting, and I I think really quite wise, it looks as if all seven men were from the Hellenist section of the church. And and we don't know that for sure, but there's a lot of clues. All of them have Greek names. All seven of them have Greek names. Now, sometimes Hebrews could have a Greek name associated. We have an apostle named Philip as well. 
all seven of Greek names. Some of the locations mentioned, in fact, all of the locations are outside of Jerusalem and outside of that local area of where they came from. One of them was a proselyte of Antioch, a Gentile that became a Jew, Nicholas. And so what's interesting is they are picking a very diverse group of men to lead this task. I also think it's brilliant if you're concerned about a certain group being overlooked to include them in leadership is a very wise way of handling that problem. And so they are including these these gentlemen from a group that would seem like outsiders and making them insiders and making them part of the core leadership of the church. They would know best their group They would know best how to communicate. They spoke the language the best to be able to communicate. And I think this shows just a real humility on the apostles' part and a real desire to solve the problem. Number one, that they were willing to share leadership, but they were willing to share leadership with a group that may have been considered outsiders. And that's huge. And so what we see is the solution here is the apostles, the church, and then the apostles chose godly leaders wisely. They chose godly leaders wisely. So they listened and assessed, and they looked at their priorities, they looked at the need to have other leaders, and then they chose leaders with godly qualifications. And it's the sequence that, again, may, may, may just make sense, but they are adjusting to handle a problem and potential division in the church. Verse 6 talks about the men. These then they set before the apostles. So they picked them. They brought the, the names or, or, or the people directly. And they brought them to the apostles. And the apostles approved them. And we see that with what they did. The apostles then prayed and laid hands on them. Now sometimes we put a hand on a shoulder or something because that shows care and shows... But, but it shows so much more in this culture to lay hands on someone was to delegate authority to them. It was a deliberate and specific way of saying, these men now have our approval and our authority to do this task. And so it's better to think of this as a commissioning for the task rather than just praying and encouraging them to do. This is an official commissioning through prayer, through the laying on of hands, because the needs of the church were that important. And so these seven men were released to solve this problem. And given the authority to solve the problem, they were given full support. They were set apart for this special service. And again, we see a humility in the existing leadership to equip and release others to ministry. So in your notes, I have different action steps they took. They chose godly leaders wisely. The second part of this is they distributed the load. They adjusted organizationally. They distributed the loads. They didn't just stay with how they've always done it. But they enabled others to serve according to their gifts. What a beautiful picture of what could have been a devastating event for a church that they turned into expanding leadership and bringing a group in and bringing the church together to say, we care about every group in this church. Verse 7, we get the result. And it's a, it's a wonderful result. Um, your notes, the, point number four, the unquenchable work of God thrived with this additional help. 
The unquenchable work of God thrived with this additional help. We read, And the word of God continued to increase. Same word that was used in verse 1. And so we have verse 1 saying the church is increasing. There's this threat. And now they've dealt with it in 7. And it continues to increase. Nothing is going to stop God's church. The gates of hell will will not prevail against it. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That's just a a sentence that's thrown in there that that I think is awesome. Um, Because the church is growing. And Luke says, oh yeah, some of the spiritual leaders, they're now coming to Christ. What a testimony to the church and what God is doing. And so that, that to me is one of the most amazing things in the text is now the, they're expanding out to some of the religious leaders that were so opposed to Jesus. And those people, because of their testimony, because of how they are a church, because of the gospel, are coming to Christ. And so the church grew rather than being stopped by Satan's attempt. And we see that they grew because God calls different people to different tasks and they each took their task and ran with it because all are important and the gospel grew. So how did they deal with it? The apostles listened and assessed the problem. They made sure their priorities were right. The main thing was the main thing. They chose godly leaders wisely to distribute the load to and they distributed the load to them. And God worked. And God did Amazing things. Seven verses. But again, I think they can speak mightily to us as a church. What kinds of things do we let get in the way of God's work? What kinds of issues can we have with each other? Because we can come up with a lot. We're we're 200 weird people. But are we going to get past that and work together and do God's work? I hope so. I pray we will. And so some final applications I have there, and and I've tried to give applications throughout the whole thing, but just as I was thinking about this in my head and and where I pray we go with this as a church, the first is don't underestimate the seriousness of grumbling. It can hinder God's work. It can destroy God's work. And, And it's so much easier to grumble than to actually go to someone and solve the problem. But it is so much more destructive. And so let's not be a church that grumbles. Let's be a church that if we see someone left out, if we see a problem, we talk to the right people and we work on it and we trust them to to resolve it. But let's not be a church that grumbles. Second thing, we must proactively work against division or even grouping up into cliques. We must proactively work against division or even grouping up into cliques. It can be easy to say, well, I will wait until someone tells me they're left out. And then we'll solve it. And I'm very loving and caring. Or we could say, I'm going to make sure we don't even go there. And I'm going to look around and I'm going to find people that are maybe on the fringes. Find people that are excluded in some way. And I'm going to make sure they're included. And I could tell you story after story of people in this room that have done that. And then I get to hear the other side of it, the people that you included, that say, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe they did that, rather. That meant so much to me. 
And so village, continue that. Continue looking around. Continue seeing who's standing alone. Continue seeing who's not at an event. And continue inviting and continue reaching out. Because these kinds of problems are solved proactively best by looking around. And really the, the, the next one flows out of that. Listen for needs. Like the apostles did, they listened. Listen for needs and then meet them. Or if it's bigger than what you can meet, let leadership know and let's meet it as a church. But let's deal with those needs and let's listen for them and care for each other. And then the fourth one, just to give you a real practical thing to walk out the door with, talk with someone you don't usually talk to today. Reach out. Reach out to the Dodger fans, the Angel fans. Reach out to the boomers or the millennials. I don't, I don't care what it is. Let's reach out to people we don't talk to. And let's start to be, a, be one church, not a church of groups. You know, questions to ask on this, do I hang out with the same people every Sunday? Do I hang out with my friends on Sunday? The friends I see during the week and I talk to already, maybe Sunday can be a time to move beyond that circle and expand that circle and adopt others into that circle. But today, talk with someone you don't usually talk to. Now, some of you extroverts are like, I talk to everyone in this room <laughs> every Sunday. That's, that's wonderful. We, we value you so much. We need you. Um, keep it up. Um, but let's work to proactively make sure these kinds of divisions don't happen. Needs are met. People are included. Um, one of the things I just hear often about Village is people appreciate the efforts you all have made for this. And so this is a little bit of, of challenging us to do it, but a little bit of encouraging us to keep doing this. Keep reaching out. There's, there's ways we can do better, and there's ways we do really well. But how are we going to include people into the kingdom of God? Today we want to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper, one of the, the things I think that is good to, to, to reflect on with the Lord's Supper today is that this is a, a, a family meal. Not a full meal, but it's a family thing that we do together when we say the word communion, and this is where the word communion came from, we're taking it as a group. And so sometimes we talk about that we're looking at what Christ has done and what God has done. We're looking up. Sometimes we're looking in to make sure the sin in our lives is, is done. With a text like this, we want to look around and say, I'm taking this with brothers and sisters in Christ. And that means something. It's not just a, a throwaway piece of, of cracker and, and juice. But rather, this represents the blood and body of Jesus Christ and what he did to bring us together as a church, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so part of celebrating the Lord's Supper is saying, I'm going to look around and consider the body of Christ, and I'm going to celebrate it with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we want to remember the work of Christ today and remember what he has done. I'd like to just start by thanking God for what he's done. Then we'll pass out the elements, then hold them, and we'll take them together as a body. But let's bow and thank God for what he has done. Lord God, thank you for your work on the cross that adopted us as sons and daughters of the King. And by adoption and by adoption in the same family, we acknowledge we are brothers and sisters as sons and daughters of the King. 
And so, Lord, help us to be family with each other. Help us to look out for each other. Lord, and if there's cases where there's, there's people being overlooked, let us find ways to include and adjust. And Lord, I pray that nothing would hinder us from your work. That none of the, the really petty differences would grow so large as we forget it's about the gospel. And we forget it's about what you did on the cross and that you rose again on the third day, defeating death and sin. And the forgiveness that you paid for on that cross. Lord, help us to be witnesses to the good news. Thank you for your work, Lord God, in your name. Amen.